Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Dr. Scripture, in some recent programs, you've been discussing different creation models developed by creation scientists to explain in some physical detail what happened during and after the Great Flood and how what God did in creation on day two related to those events. Yes, day two of creation, the most difficult of the days of creation Mm. to understand. (laughs) And you've pointed out that the main reason it is hard to understand is because the earth looks very different today from what it must have looked like after day two. Yeah, after day two and day three. And as the fundamental process of scientific discovery and explanation is observation and testing, and we can do neither (laughs) concerning what God did on day two, well, it's sort of like painting in the dark. (laughs) And of course, whether we're talking about a theory based on the revelation of God in Genesis, or in the case of the evolutionary theory, based on the assumption that everything has happened purely by random physical processes, no one can go back and actually observe what happened. There are three main models proposed by creationists who interpret the Genesis account literally. The vapor canopy model, the catastrophic plate tectonic model, and the hydroplate model. Now, we've discussed the vapor canopy and catastrophic plate tectonic models in the previous programs, both what they propose and some of the problems that they have. And in our last program, I was describing the hydroplate model and several of the proposals that that model gives but there were several that I didn't get to. As well as the problems of reconciling the meaning of the word expanse in the Genesis account of the second day of creation with the hydroplate model's interpretation of that word. Yeah, there is some problems there, and there lies the major rub, the biblical interpretation, Scott. And for me and many other creationists, that's the main objection to the hydroplate model. But for right now, I do want to talk some more about the cause of several physical features of Earth, which I think the hydroplate model does an excellent job of explaining. So first of all, let me say, I think that the crux of the hydroplate model, the crucial proposal is that super compressed underground water was released at the time of the flood, right when the flood began. And that would be what the Bible describes as all the fountains of the great deep bursting open. Exactly. And with that pressure behind it, the hydroplate model proposes that some of the water, along with chunks of the Earth's crust, actually reached escape velocity. In other words, it was launched out of Earth's gravitational pull, but most (laughs) of it fell back down to Earth in a torrential downpour. What the Bible describes as the great floodgates of the sky opening up. Right again. And one other thing that's important to note is that, of course, it's going to be liquid water blasting up out of the Earth, but As under pressure, it was released very, very rapidly. It would have then spread out into rain droplets. So Mm. that's why rain droplets, not just literally like a waterfall, would have been coming down out of the sky. So then a key feature of the hydroplate model, given these factors, is its ability to explain the source of the huge number of layers of sedimentary rock in the Earth's crust today, as well as the absence of crust at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean and the presence of a vast layer layer of crust under a layer of magma at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean. Hmm. Now, this was something I learned as I've been studying the hydroplate model. Scott, I did not know that the floors of the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans are very different. And a very interesting and rather well-kept secret is the standard evolutionary explanation of Earth's geology called the plate tectonics theory pretty much ignores the fact 
that there is crust under the magma of the Mm. Pacific Ocean floor. Well, the hydroplate model proposes that as the pressurized water sprayed up out through the fracturing crust, it eroded the rock fissures wider and wider. And at the same time, as the great landmass on Earth broke into plates, those plates literally slid away from one another and, in essence, floated on the water reservoirs below them, away from one another. Would those plates become the continents we see on the Earth today? Yeah. It almost sounds like those plates were like huge surfboards riding the waves. (laughs) The wave, so to speak, wasn't water from above the land. In other words, it wasn't from the downpour of water that fell or even the water from the ocean that was on Earth after day three. The source of water, which the plates of crust were surfing on, (laughs) was the water below the land which God had made as he designed the earth on day two. So for 40 days, the subterranean water that was under immense pressure continued to be forced up by the weight of the land, and it formed geysers. And that water would then fall back to earth as the pressure was released and it formed water droplets. But eventually, as the cracks were wider and wider, there was a lot of water now on top of the plates of land, and the water no longer shot up into the sky. But it did continue to come up out of those reservoirs of water, and thus the depth of the flood continued to increase. In the Bible, where the rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, the Bible goes on to say, in Genesis chapter 7, I'm going to start reading at verse 17, Then the flood came upon the earth for 40 days, and the water increased and lifted up the ark, so that it rose above the earth. Then verse 19, And the water prevailed more and more upon the earth, so that all the high mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered. Then, when we move on down to verse 24, it says, And the water prevailed upon the earth 150 days. So that's the end of verse 24. So it sounds like the water rose for about 150 days, but water from above lasted only 40 days and nights. Then, when you continue to read on into chapter 8 of Genesis, it says, The fountains of the deep and the floodgates of the sky were closed, and the rain from the sky was restrained, and the water receded steadily from the earth, and at the end of 150 days, the waters decreased. So what was taking place even under the water of the flood, the hydroplate model proposes erosion by the water of the deep coming up through those plates of crust would have been producing layer after layer of sediment as the rapidly moving pressurized water carried the eroded material away from the fissures that it was creating. And yet eventually that water would have lost the pressure and slowed down. So the mud and sand and rocks settled out one layer on top of another another layer on top of another, as long as the water continued to come up from below those sedimentary layers it was forming. So now, Dr. Scripture, you mentioned that the ocean floors of the Atlantic and Pacific are different. How does that relate to the hydroplate model? The hydroplate model proposes that the Atlantic Ocean floor is a result of that crust being eroded away. In other words, the crust is gone there because it's just been ground up. And so it was there in the Atlantic that the plates were eroding away and sliding away from one another to form the North and South American continents, the Atlantic Ocean in between, and then the African continent to the east. And what we see is the mantle is actually exposed at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. But in the Pacific, a large portion of crust, which before the flood would have been dry land, is covered by magma, that is, lava flows, which spread out over the top Hmm. of the crust, which was not eroded away by the fountains of the deep coming up through the crust. 
So let me try and explain it this way. On part of the earth, the Pacific Basin, we have some of the original crust God caused to appear on day three submerged as a result of the breakup of the landmass and it being covered by the floodwaters. And on another part of the earth, the Atlantic Basin, we have the mantle, which is normally below the crust, but in this case, it's exposed as the broken plates were eroded on the edges and then slid away from each other. So then, Scott, what do you think would have stopped the plates from continuing to slide away from each other? Well, there's only so much surface on the Earth, so I'm guessing as a plate slides away from one plate, it bumps into another. Yeah, eventually they're going to bang into each other, and the plates colliding thus form the mountain ranges. Now, the standard evolutionary version of the plate tectonic theory proposes that continents colliding are the source of the mountain ranges on Earth. However, the evolutionary worldview says they have formed over hundreds of millions of years. Now, the catastrophic plate tectonic theory, which is a creationist model that says the plates moved rapidly during the flood, also proposes that the mountain ranges formed as a result of the continents colliding. However, since it had to happen very quickly, they had to come up with an explanation as to how the tectonic plates could slide one under another very rapidly. So they proposed that one of the things God did to cause the flood was to cool down the edges of the landmass, that is the supercontinent that God made on day three of creation. God had to cool it down by some 700 degrees Fahrenheit. In other words, it was almost absolute zero on Hmm. the edges of the supercontinent. Well, by doing that, the crust then became more dense than the mantle, and it began to sink into the mantle. I suppose God could have done that. Certainly, he could have done it. But it does seem a bizarre solution to how you can get the tectonic plates sliding (laughs) rapidly, which is necessary for their theory to harmonize with the evolutionary theory of plate tectonics. Thus, the model of catastrophic plate tectonics requires that miracle by God and cooling down the earth, I mean, super cooling down the earth, as well as several other miracles that I won't get into right now. But any scientific model is really difficult to verify when problems are solved by simply calling upon God to do this or that miracle, which I think very importantly is not recorded in the Bible. And another miracle that the vapor canopy model required was the dissipation of all the heat that would have been generated by the condensation of all that water vapor. I mean, some scientists think that much heat would have boiled all the water on the planet. That's right. And that was really one of the first major objections to the vapor canopy model. How is the earth not going to be destroyed by the heat produced? When you make steam, what are you doing? You're taking liquid water, you're putting heat into it, and it becomes vapor. The reverse is... Is you're taking vapor, you're releasing all that heat to make liquid water. Ah. So that's a real problem for the vapor canopy model. What's really interesting, Scott, is if you take what's going on with the hydroplate model's idea that you've got liquid water expanding very rapidly into little water mm. droplets, you know what that's going to do? That is going to suck up a lot of heat. Oh. And so this is one of the things that I think is sort of interesting. You can almost see a combination, at least in part, of the vapor canopy being there, mm as God created it on day two, and then with the hydroplate model producing this massive amount of water going high up into the atmosphere and sucking up the heat that would be released by the vapor condensing, you sort of have a balancing out of heat being released and heat being absorbed. The bottom line being you would have this torrential downpour of water from the sky, producing both water from the ground as well as water from the floodgates of the sky, as the Bible puts it. 
Well, Dr. Scripture, the physical phenomena that the hydroplate model addresses sure seem to give it several advantages over the catastrophic plate tectonic model and even the vapor canopy model. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) But as we mentioned at the beginning of the program, your biggest concern with respect to any of these creation models is how they interpret the biblical account of creation Mm. and the flood as they attempt to explain scientifically what the physical results were of God's creative acts and the changes in the earth due to the dynamics of the flood. And you've pointed out that there is a problem with how the hydroplate model interprets the Genesis account of day two of creation, in particular, the meaning of the word translated expanse Mm -hmm. in Genesis 1, 6 through 8, especially in light of what it says in verse 8. Well, you're right, Scott. Verse 8, it says, And God called the expanse heaven. But the hydroplate model says the expanse was a landmass that divided the waters above from the waters below. So for me and many other creationists, the question is, how can we somehow understand the meaning of the Hebrew word rachia in Genesis 1-8, which is translated expanse to refer somehow to land? That is the problem. That's been my problem. But I'm afraid that we're not going to be able to talk about that in this program. People are going to have to wait till next week when I try and give at least a possible explanation to uh, reconcile the problem. And so the main verse that we'll try and reconcile with the hydroplate theory is Genesis 1-8, and God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning a second day. And that's not what I or any other creationist says. That's what scripture says. 